0: If you will turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. This morning we continue in our series through Ephesians. Uh, believe it or not, we will finish chapter 1 today. And that's just one of six, so we have a few more to go. Uh, the title of our sermon is Great Power, and our key words for our worshipers and training are power, resurrection, and head. Now, what is the most significant display of power that you've ever seen in your life? I remember just a few years ago, most of you will probably remember this, a tornado ripped its way through Springfield just up the road. Afterwards, Felicia and I got in the car and we drove to Springfield to see the results of that tornado and it left me nearly speechless to look and to see the towers for power lines as though they were just picked up and crumpled up and thrown back down on the ground. It was an amazing sight. Perhaps you've seen images of villages that have been completely destroyed by volcanic eruptions or massive tsunamis. In the year 2000, I went to Los Alamos, New Mexico after a massive controlled burn in the national forest had gotten out of control and it burned down a significant portion of the community. 400 homes were destroyed along with over 48,000 acres of land and it was eerily silent No trees rustling in the wind. No birds or animal noises. The community was shut down so there was no human sounds. Some of the most shocking images you could see are those of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan after the dropping of an atomic bomb to end World War II. (coughs) All of us have seen videos of the, the mushroom cloud produced during the testing of the bomb in Nevada. In 2005, I was in Afghanistan when a massive earthquake hit Pakistan and we felt it 100 miles away from the epicenter. It left over 80,000 people dead and three and a half million people homeless. All of us can recount displays of power that we've seen or we've experienced ourselves. Maybe we've simply studied them or seen pictures of them. But in all of the world... Throughout the history of mankind, there is one show of power that is more significant. It is greater, it is more powerful than all the rest. And that's that power that Paul turns our attention to this morning in our text as we continue to look at what God has done in the redemption of mankind and what he is doing in the sanctification of his people, making us to be more like Jesus Christ. Tornadoes and earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis and hurricanes and avalanches, all of these things are terrifying in their power. They leave us feeling very small and insignificant and rather helpless. But there is a power that leaves all of the other powerful forces of the world themselves to be looking small in comparison. It is the power of God to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the power. Everything else pales in comparison to that power. It is the power of God to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we might wonder why the resurrection? Paul could have looked at all sorts of things that God has done to display his power, but he chose the resurrection. Why is that? Well, we'll see that in our text this morning. You can find it on page 976 in the Blue ESV Bible. Let's look beginning in chapter 1, but we will read from verse 15 for context, but we will focus on verses 19 through 23. Ephesians 1, verse 15, for this reason... What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints?" things in the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all well we saw last week that Paul is praying for the ephesians he's interceding before God on their behalf he's asking God to give them a fuller deeper understanding of what he has done for them specifically <laughs> Paul prayed for three things. First, that the eyes of their hearts would be opened to know the hope that God has called them into. Secondly, that they would know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. (coughs) And lastly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe? And, And we get to this place now where Paul is in the midst of describing how he's praying for the believers, but he sort of, he sort of pauses in saying, this is how I'm praying for you, and, and he elaborates more fully on the power of God remember, it wasn't that Paul wanted the Ephesians to develop these things or uh, to, um, to understand that this is something that could be or could happen. Rather, he's insisting that they already had these things. It's simply a matter of having a full knowledge of them and applying them to their lives with wisdom. So specifically this morning, we see that Paul is particularly eager that his readers appreciate God's power in the lives of his people. And specifically for us, that we too would grasp the significance of God's true power and the implication of that power in our lives. So the first observation this morning is that the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Now, as I already mentioned, we could all probably make a big list of things that, we, that, have, um, uh, that have been revealed or identified as something that shows the truly magnificent power of God. The very fact of creation itself is quite a display of power. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The very word of God was enough to bring about light. God made everything that was made ex nihilo, or out of nothing. Or why not talk about the providence of God, of sustaining everything as it is. That's power. You know, if for one single second God were to stop upholding all of existence and all of the universe, it would just fall apart, it would would collapse. You ever think about that? Everything that is is held together by God at every moment because God has made it to be that way and he maintains all of the necessary components for it to be as it is. It's remarkable. It's mind-blowing to even consider that. Paul could have pointed to the flood. He could have written about the parting of the Red Sea or the destruction of great armies or of the Exodus, but he chose... Out of all of the events, he chose the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? Well, we need to consider the full context of what Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 1. And I think we see how well the resurrection fits into it. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is an objective demonstration of the power of God. No question. It is simultaneously... A perfect image of what happens to a believer spiritually when they become new creations in Jesus Christ. The resurrection is many things, but one of those things is a glorious picture of our union with Christ. When Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. And Paul will tell us in chapter 2 we are right now seated with him in the heavenly places. Remember back in verse 3 of chapter 1? We keep looking back to this introductory statement of Paul. We have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so, our union with Christ has brought us to be raised from spiritual death to new life. And then in one day, we will experience a physical bodily resurrection as is promised as well. But I really think Paul chose the resurrection to show us beyond every other example that shows the power of God. That this one most vividly identifies the fact that no obstacle, no trial, no difficulty that is set before us can overcome us. Because as we see, only in the resurrection there is proof positive that the very last enemy has been conquered and defeated. Well, who's the last enemy? It is death itself. You know, hurricanes and tornadoes and forest fires, all of those are powerful All of those are destructive, but all they can do is destroy and kill. Only God can overcome death and destruction and defeat it once and for all in one single act of power in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem in Acts 2. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus, in the resurrection, defeated the last and final enemy. Now, all of us will say death in this life is inevitable, isn't it? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Death spread to all men because all sinned. We cannot escape death in this life. It is truly our last enemy in this life. There is no enemy beyond that in terms of what we are living. And until we taste death, until we realize its power, we will never fully recognize the greatness of God's power to conquer death and give new life. And yet Paul is saying here, this is the same power at work in you. And he shows us God's display of that power two different ways. He says, first, Christ was raised from the dead. And second, Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. You see that there in verse 20. The resurrection of Christ is what Paul puts forward as the most significant evidence of the power of God. And then he writes that God seated him at his right hand. And we'll get to that second part in a minute. But you see here, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme evidence in Paul's mind, and I believe it should be ours, of God's power. And as we think about this in light of his prayer, remember his prayer is that the eyes of their hearts would be opened and We see that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us the power of God and, it, and, and he's making us to see more clearly what God has already done in Jesus Christ. He, has, he had to suffer death for our sins, but God the Father brought him back to life and took him to heaven. And so just as the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest display of God's love, So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest display of God's power. No created force could ever do this. But what Paul wants us to see personally and practically is that his uncomparably great power is for us who believe. First, we experience God's power as a saving power. Paul says in his opening to, in his letter to the Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because what? It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. The limitless power of God is brought to bear on the souls of those who are brought to Jesus Christ. This is why no one is beyond his grace. This is why we can confidently offer the grace of God to all men, calling them to repentance and faith in Christ. Some may say, you have no idea what I've done. My perversions, my betrayals, my deceptions are all beyond imagination. And you know what I have to say to that? You have no idea what I've done my perversions, my betrayals, my deceptions are beyond your imagination. And you know what the Bible says? You actually have no idea what you've done because what you've done is far worse than you think it is. Far worse than you can imagine. But do you know what else the Bible says right here where we are this morning? God's power is adequate. God's power is sufficient. When you become a Christian, the same power of God that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you to raise you from spiritual death to new life. And it leaves all of that other stuff in the grave. Friend, are you here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ? You're not a Christian. You're living for yourself. You really have given no thought to who God is and what he has done in Christ to save you from the penalty of your sins. You may not care about any of this at all. And I'm praying that by the power of God's word, he would overwhelm you and bring you to the end of yourself that you might live for him. But some of you might be thinking what I just said. God couldn't forgive me. God wouldn't forgive me. And you couldn't be any more wrong. When you humble yourself before the Lord, place all of your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, he will, by his great power, raise you up from spiritual death into new everlasting life. But until you've experienced this transforming, life-giving, new creation power of God in the gospel, you've never seen anything that's all that powerful. Turn to Christ that you might live and resurrection power will be the story of your very own life. And so you can say too, I have been resurrected from the dead because you have you will know what it is to be turned upside down, not by your own doing, but by the power of God. (coughs) Well, there's a second aspect to this incomparably great power that Paul writes about, and it's a sanctifying power. The power that gives us all that we need to live godly lives in Jesus Christ. Later on in Ephesians, we're going to see Paul asserting that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Chapter 3, verse 20. In Romans 6, Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that is why Paul prays, I want you to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Christ, by his Spirit, gives his incomparably great power to us who believe so we can live as we ought to live. New life, resurrection life, resurrection-powered life. But the problem, as Paul sees it, and he's identifying for the Ephesians, is that many Christians don't even recognize it or pay attention to it or don't even know it's there. When I was a kid, growing up in Colorado, we lived on like three acres of property, all on a big hill, and it snowed, and I had to walk to school uphill both ways. All of that had to be mowed from time to time. Well, one year, my dad bought a new mower, and I spent all day working outside, pushing that mower around. Yes, I did mow the grass, I promise. I was almost finished and just couldn't figure out why this brand new lawnmower was so much more difficult to push around than the older one that we had had. I wanted to get rid of it. I wanted to go back to the old one. And when it was all said and done, my father, who likes to watch me struggle a little bit, said, well, next time you mow, it will be easier if you engage the power instead of trying to push it all by yourself. It was a self-propelled mower, and there was a lever on the side to push down so the rear wheels would turn on their own. Lesson learned. Thank you, Dad, for telling me that when I was finished. But you see, the power was there all along. I didn't see it. I didn't know it. I didn't stop to figure it out. And perhaps you know someone, or perhaps it's yourself, a Christian, but there's just a lot of stagnation in your Christian life. You don't see growth over time, you don't see a lot of progression in sanctification maybe. The power of God is all right there. And perhaps it's just sort of sitting there because of ignorance, or because of sin, or because of disbelief. You may not be experiencing anything of the power of God in the way that you ought to. Are you experiencing a daily walk with God that is filled with power, so that your affections are being changed, your mind is being renewed, your way of looking at the world is being transformed, your interactions with others are different, and they're they're constantly improving, you are more sensitive to sin, you are more readily showing grace with patience to others. That's the power of God at work within us. And if that's not... True of you, Paul's prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe because all of those things are possible by the power of God because you have been saved and you now have the ability to walk in holiness. You have the ability to walk in faithfulness, but you can't do it on your own. You need the power of God. Are you even aware of the power of God within you? Well, Paul doesn't stop at the resurrection when it comes to the power of God. He goes on to reflect on the power as it's seen in the exaltation and lordship of Jesus Christ and how that plays out in the lives of believers and all of creation. So we see our next observation this morning that Jesus is the supreme Lord and authority under which all creation resides. When Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul tells us in verse 20, something else happened. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? Well, historically, in formal settings, to sit at the right hand of a host was a mark of honor, and oftentimes, and certainly in this case, it is a mark of authority. At dinners or banquets or civil or social occasions, the honored guest would sit right at the right hand of the host, and this is a place of honor given to the Lord Jesus Christ by his Father. It is the highest seat in the heavenly places, and it is by right he Has inherited that. It is the throne of David. It is the everlasting throne of the king who has fulfilled all that was necessary that he might obtain it. The right hand is always the place of authority. And so Paul assures us that God has raised his son from the dead and he's placed him in the seat of authority. Paul says something similar in Philippians 2, 9. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. In other words, no higher position, no greater honor could have ever been given to our Lord Jesus Christ than that which he possesses by right, given to him by the Father and where he resides right now. Okay, now... Hang with me here. I want to show you something because I think it's important that we not just look at the trees here, that we get a broad view of the entire forest as we're walking through verse by verse. And we hit on a big section of the forest right here. Paul is not just taking this language here out of thin air. This isn't something that is uniquely Pauline, these words. Let's think back to the very beginning of what God created. Commanded Adam to accomplish in the garden. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 identifies for us what has historically been understood as something called the covenant of works. God covenanted with Adam to fulfill a specific purpose. And upon the completion of those specific items that God gave him in the covenant, he and all of his posterity would retain life and relate to God as God. So the covenant of works in its most basic form was do this and live. And specifically, the things that God identified for Adam were be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God goes on to explain that he has given creation to man to use for the purposes that God has defined. And one of the reasons God made Adam in his image and likeness was to enable him to be able to carry out these things that God had commanded him. So as an image bearer, Adam was to reflect the character of God, which includes mirroring the glory of God. So the main idea behind the covenant of works was that Adam was to subdue and rule over the earth and to fill it with God's glory, especially through image bearing offspring. Well, We all know very well that not too long after the covenant was given, Adam failed in his responsibility, and so he did not receive the eternal incorruptibility of physical and spiritual life. So, what did God do? Well, we know Adam also wasn't the only one to fail, right? The the commission was passed on to others as well, other Adam like figures throughout the Bible. Noah failed. The patriarchs failed. The Israelites failed miserably. Think of what God commanded each of them as he continued to make covenants with them. Think of what he commanded each of them. Subdue the earth. Be fruitful. Multiply. These things came up time and time again. But after the fall, these repeated requirements of the covenant were given, but they were given alongside something else. They were given alongside a promise, a promise of a seed who would bless the nations, suggesting that at some point in the future, all of this would actually be fulfilled. In other words, failure would continue until the last Adam would finally fulfill the requirements on behalf of mankind. And of course, we know who that last Adam is. Paul identifies him for us as Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the moral, law-fulfilling life that Adam failed to live. And through his death and resurrection, is even now fulfilling that commission to fill the earth with the glory of God through his image-bearing offspring, right? Well, who are his offspring? That's us. Remember back in verse 5, we we saw that we become God's children through adoption? So Paul is saying here that Jesus fulfills the requirements. He, He fulfilled all that Adam was given in the covenant of works and failed to do because he is the last and final Adam who was promised and did it all perfectly. He fulfilled what we see in Psalm 8, 6. Psalm 8 is a messianic psalm, and it is one of two psalms that uh, Paul is referencing here in our text. Psalm 8, 6, and verse 6 says this You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. Now, Paul also references Psalm 110, and it's a fascinating psalm. We have, in Psalm 110, verse 1, we have the Father talking about the Son and he says this the lord says to my lord the father says to the son sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool so paul views christ himself as having decisively fulfilled what adam failed to do and specifically the commission of Psalm 8, thus receiving the promise of Psalm 110. I hope you're with me. I know this is a lot. So in other words, Paul is making a very bold claim. And the claim is that Jesus Christ himself individually and flawlessly ruled, subdued, and multiplied and is multiplying by and through his church, filling the earth with the glory of God. That's the point of it all. And it's a beautiful point. And now, Jesus is exalted, and Jesus is king over all creation. Jesus is the head of his church. There should be no question about whether or not Jesus is reigning on his throne Today, right here, right now, Jesus is king. It's the exact thing that Paul is saying in verse 20 when he says that Christ has already been seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. So there, Jesus sits at the Father's right hand ruling over the universe as the head of his church, drawing the members of his body to him. There is no authority on earth or under the earth or in the heavenly realms that is even remotely comparable to him. And indeed, for any man to pretend that he is the head of Christ's church is utter blasphemy. There is one head, and he is Christ. He is seated on his heavenly throne where he keeps us, his children, in his hand and he keeps his enemies under his feet. And he will continue to do so until all of the members of his body are gathered together and the body is complete. You see in verse 23, Paul says, his body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. He means... The Lord Jesus Christ regards himself as incomplete until every person whom the Father is giving to him has been joined to him in living faith. Why? Because he is the head and we are the body. And how is our Lord represented and expressed throughout the world? By his church, by his body. And that church is intended to be a full expression of him. Of whom? Of him who is all in all. Of him who reigns over the whole universe and whom the whole creation will at last acknowledge to be the Lord alone. Of him who by his spirit is present everywhere and whose name is the only name that will be praised everlastingly. But why is Paul telling us all of this? What does all of that mean for us? Paul's great, magnificent point here is that the power which raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the lowest place to the highest, the very power which sustains this wonderful relationship that exists between the ascended Christ and his people on the earth, the power of all of that is the power Which has worked in you as a Christian. And Paul is praying that his fellow Christians might see what is the exceeding greatness of all of this power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes as believers, we can feel weak, we can feel sort of hopeless, we can feel worthless. We can feel beat down and overcome by temptations in this world. We can be so overcome and overwhelmed by sin and so discouraged by our lack of progress. And the answer to all of that, of course, is that our heart's eyes be opened to the greatness of the power of God. The power that is within each of us who is a child of God is the exact same power. of Christ who sits on the throne in heaven today. The exact same power that God used to raise him from the dead and to raise you from the dead as well. By the Holy Spirit who dwells which within each and every one of us who is in Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit not only raised Jesus from the dead, he raised him to, to the seat of all cosmic authority in the universe, he raised him not only from a tomb but from this planet to the heavenly places where he is seated on high and he is exalted as the Lord of heaven and earth. Think of it, brethren. At this very moment, Christ reigns in heaven as the king over all heavenly rulers, authorities, powers, and lords. All of the whole of the supernatural, of divine counsel. It is all under his authority. And the Lord Jesus is above all tower, power, titles of power. Everything you can imagine in this world that has any form of power is under him. And he has that authority over kings and prime ministers and presidents, over every being. God put it all under Christ's feet for the church. And he is now and forevermore the supreme Lord over all things. And so when you feel like there's weakness of your faith, when you feel broken in your spirit, when you're discouraged in your faith and it feels like everything is against you, remember that the head of the body to which you belong is at the right hand of God right now. Remember that all authority and all power is in his hands, controlling the universe and the cosmos. And he is the head over all of it. And when you get upset or you get discouraged, when you watch the news or or read the news and current affairs, when you see injustice, when you experience persecution, remember the one who can direct all things and is doing so for your ultimate good. You may not see it now. You may not see it now. In a year when we have a new president, you may be saying, what in the world? But you know that's for your good. Jesus is in control of that. And so if all of this is true, why would we ever suffer? If Jesus is in control and he loves us as his people, why would we suffer? Why would we ever experience hardship? Why would we ever struggle? Well, we don't understand it fully, but we know at least that our trials are a part of our sanctification. It's not that God can't prevent these things from happening. He surely can, but he chooses not to. And in fact, it's not that he just chooses not to not let them happen, but that he is in control of them. And so you see, it it doesn't help us in the midst of suffering, for example, to think that it's not God's will in my life. No, it is God's will. But you know it's God's will for my good. Because God knows what's best for us. And there are times when we need sunshine, and there are times when we need and are most benefited by terrible storms. Psalm 119 catches something of this. David writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why was it good? Because the Lord sanctified him. The Lord strengthened him. The Lord brought him into conformity to his word all the more in ways that he couldn't do in other avenues. All of us of Christians can probably look back to things in our lives. Times of difficulty and trial and suffering and sorrow. And we can think of ways that God blessed us in the midst of those. Things that God did in us and through us that wouldn't have been worked out otherwise. Ways in which our troubles helped in our growth and spiritual development. Brothers and sisters, let us never forget that nothing can happen to us apart from him. And God's greatest concern is our holiness and our eternal happiness. Not necessarily that things right here and right now aren't difficult or aren't painful. He does all things for our good. And we can rest in knowing that he has all of the power to make it work for our good. Even if it doesn't look so good right here and right now. We can rest in knowing that such a powerful God has secured our future beyond any doubt whatsoever because we are members of Christ's body and he is at the right hand of God with absolute authority. And as sure as Jesus rose from the grave, we too shall be raised from the grave physically without corruption, without fault, and without blame. The head has risen and so the body must be risen as well. And so we can say with Paul, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is above all created powers. He is far above them all and is all in all. He is the head of the universe and you and I as children of God belong to him. So neither devil nor hell nor force nor might can ever pluck us out of his hands. In him, we are safe and we are secure and our final destiny is assured and certain. Brothers and sisters, I hope you know these things. I hope you don't only know them, but you live in light of them and that you receive all of your strength for living life in Christ by them. Hopefully now you understand why Paul prayed for the Ephesians in the way he did and all others who would receive this letter. Are these things real for you? Feeble, defeated saint, do you know that the power of God is within you? It is there because you are in Christ and his life is flowing into you. Realize it, believe it, trust it, act upon it. And it will come to you with still greater force. Let us offer the apostles' prayer for ourselves that the eyes of our hearts might be opened all the more that we might know and hope in our calling, that we might know the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints, and that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. May God, by his Spirit, open our eyes to these things that we might dwell upon them all until we can confidently say with the Apostle Paul that all of our trials in this life for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we can look at your great power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you're seating him at your right hand as the exalted Lord and Savior over all of the universe that we can look to him as our king we can look to him as the one who controls all things by the power of his word the one who holds us his body in his hands with great care And great concern and great tenderness and great love who simultaneously holds his enemies under his feet. And so we look to you, Lord, with great joy and a great longing to know more of the power of God in our lives that we not live defeated lives, that we not live lives of discouragement and constant woe and constantly looking to our spiritual growth and being discouraged, but rather that we would know something of your power that we too could continually grow in our spiritual lives just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians that in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in all of these things that we could be reminded that because Christ is all-powerful and preeminent over all creation, that he is working these things and these things are for our good, that he might be glorified in us and that we might find our ultimate hope and trust and joy and peace in him alone. Father, would you do these things and by the power of your word and the power of your spirit, sanctify your people and bring sinners to repent in Jesus Christ. And we ask all this in his name, amen.